Hi, it's Jackie. And on my last podcast, I spoke with Dr. Todd Phillips about the male body, male body image. And when all was said and done, I was kind of like, oh, we're not done. In fact, if you listened to that podcast, then you know, we've just gotten started. And so what I did last week was I reached out to a bunch of guys, white male Christians uh, between the age of like 35 and 65, men who've been raised and served in the evangelical church as like pastors, preachers, worship leaders, um, lay leaders, all in the evangelical conservative faith community. Now, I'm aware that these particular men don't represent all men in America. They are a subculture, but I'm starting there with them. And my hope is that this conversation will lead you to have conversations with the men you know. And together, may we Christians, through the power of the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, reshape the church's view of men and women. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcello Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, as most of you know, uh, part of my vocational work is to ennoble women. That means to lift up to dignity, to nobility. I love that word. And the reason I do it is because Jesus does it. Um, He ennobles women. Just read the New Testament. And here's the deal. Whenever you start talking about women, you inevitably also end up talking about men. It's kind of the yin and the yang. And what that means for me is that over the past decade or so, I've done a ton of reading and learning about masculinity in America, to be particular, specific. And one of my favorite books on the subject is written by a guy named Michael Kimmel. You've probably heard me mention him before. He's a leading sociologist in masculinity, and he wrote this book called Guyland. And I'll post it on the Jackie Always Unplugged uh, group Facebook page, so you don't have to worry about writing it down. But the name is Guyland. And it speaks to the fact that we are now seeing in America this 10-year gap where boys aren't growing up into adulting until like later on, like their early 30s. And after I read it, I thought, whew, this is spot on, but I'm not a boy. And so I wanted to know, do boys think it's spot on? Does it speak to their experience? And so here's what I did. I called my boys and I said, I'll pay you 50 bucks to read this book. And now at the time, they were in college and they needed the money, so they were very game. But I told them, ah, 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 I'm not going to pay you the 50 bucks until we have an informed conversation around the content. Because I'm not stupid. They would be like, oh, yeah, sure, mom, I'll read the book, give them 50 bucks, and that'd be it. So they read it, and they got the 50 bucks. And the interesting thing is their male roommates all read it. They didn't get the 50 bucks. (laughs) 
And I sat at their house and we had this long conversation and overall they agreed, you know, it's pretty spot on. A couple things they didn't agree with, but overall, yeah, fairly accurate. So I share that because I want you to know that's kind of how I do my work. I read all the experts and then I ask people, is it true? Does it speak to your experience? And that's what I did last week. I sent out an email to all my male friends and colleagues, not all of them, some. And I said, here's what the experts say. Now say thee. And I'm going to read to you some of their thoughts. Now, the reason I'm reading them to you instead of interviewing my friends and colleagues is because I wanted to give them freedom, right? Anonymity to say whatever they wanted to say, to be able to be open and honest and vulnerable. And that's not something that they're always able to do. Now, before I share some of their insights, I want to say that as a Christian, I'm called to be like Jesus, and so are you. Male and female are called to mimic who Jesus is. And scripture tells us, John chapter 4, for example, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And Genesis tells us that as um, God's creation, we are his image bearers, which we're going to talk more about in the next couple of episodes on body image. Scripture also tells us that not only does Jesus reveal God to us, but he's our example of what it looks like to be appropriately human. So I want us to remember that Jesus is our example. I also want to say that it's really important as we move through this and you hear some of these responses that you remember, that I remember, that when we talk about the body, we're talking about everything that makes us who we are, mind, body, and soul. So there will be no dualism allowed on this past podcast. So that's kind of the foundational stuff I want to start with. Here's a question I asked. I said, okay, guys, experts say that boys are socialized through violence, that at a very young age, boys are taught to be strong and to fight, to protect. And when they grow up, they're to continue that. They're to be strong warriors and protect the whole wide world, you know, our country, the women, the children. You get the point. And one guy who grew up as a pastor's kid and was also a pastor said this in response. He said, I wasn't taught to fight physically. My father's example taught me to overpower others through argument and intimidation. Take note, by the way, it's still the idea of being strong and fighting, just not with the fists. Yeah, my father's example taught me to overpower others through argument and intimidation, and I witnessed him doing that with my mother and other men. And if I didn't have words to power up, I was bullied, and I had no sense of how to respond or protect myself. I felt vulnerable around boys who were athletic and tough. Another guy, I'll call him Jay, said something very similar. Um, He said, I do observe this to be true, but less in actual physical violence and more in word, in imagination, and fantasy. He goes on to share. He said, I grew up in a small town in northern Indiana, and there just wasn't that much of physical violence. There were bullies, and to be sure, I was bullied a lot. But their abuse was mostly verbal and aimed at humiliation and shame. Some boys were aggressive and used their bodies to teach, re- achieve recognition and status through athletic achievement. Others used their bodies to feel a sense of control through power of intimidation or violence. 
But there were also lots of boys that used their bodies to play instruments in the band or sing in the choir, dance, act, paint, and make pottery. Having said that, there was a clear social order established with the beautiful wealthy. Almost always they went together. Beautiful, wealthy, strong, popular boys were on top and physically weaker boys were on the bottom. And then he goes on to say, I was at the very bottom. I wasn't beautiful. I wasn't strong, tall, or fast. I was poor with words and pathologically shy. My family had no money. I was a consistent failure academically, and I couldn't play an instrument. My school experience from beginning to end was absolutely miserable. I say all that because as I listen to your guest on the show, and by the way, he's referring to that last podcast I did with Dr. Todd Phillips, he said it was clear to me that his thoughts, Todd's thoughts on the male body image were coming in large degree from his own experiences, experiences that could not be more different from mine. My experiences taught me to hate my body and to beg God to set me free from it by any means necessary. And both he and myself are white. Imagine growing up in an, uh, an unattractive or unathletic or socially awkward or fat boy in a black, brown, or Asian body. Yeah, you're starting to see it, aren't you? How damaging our messages are about the body. Not only the female body, but the male body. We need a more robust theology about our bodies. And I think God has given it to us. We're going to get there. Another question I wanted to know was what they learned about having a male body when they were young. And here's one man's response. He said, the stronger, the better. Everything is a contest. You are constantly evaluating yourself and your peers and assessing how they compare. Stronger, faster, braver, crazier. You want to be hairy. Men have hairy chests and faces. Your body can't bear any resemblance to the female body, i.e. no man boobs. Yes, he said that, no man boobs. Fat in general is bad. If you are fat, you need to be especially strong and tough to justify your size. Taking off your shirt is encouraged. You want people to see your body, strong body, unless you have weird nipples. If they're too big or small or inverted because of your weight, you don't want anybody to see them. Sports increases your manliness, especially if it means physically overpowering another. You want to be good at fighting, but if you lose, don't run, never run, and above all, never cry in front of your tormentor. Never let them see you afraid of anything. Fear is an intolerable weakness. Don't show emotion. You must be in control of your emotions at all times, and better yet, deny that you even have them. Stand up when you pee. Only girls sit down. Use your body to smash and destroy things. You need a high pain tolerance if you want to be manly. So if you're in pain, don't let it show. Never ask for help, ever. A man can do it himself. Men make a lot of money. A circumcised penis is good. If you're not, you can expect to be made fun of. A man can successfully attract women at will, and women want to have sex with them. Smoking makes you look manly. Guns are good, and you want to be good at killing things. And this one I especially love. Men like meat and hate vegetables. Vegetables are for girls, and you cannot be associated with anything girly at all. A lifetime of toughness can topple in seconds if you're seen doing anything girly. Men need to be powerful and acquire the most powerful version of anything they buy. 
Bald is bad, but excessive body hair is also bad. Pray that you won't have a hairy back. Never admit that you masturbate. Do whatever you have to to avoid being discovered. Whew. Now you see why I couldn't let you hear their voices or identify who's saying what. Because I wanted them to be raw and honest and vulnerable, and they were. Okay, moving on. Dr. Stephen Boyd, in his book, The Men We Long to Be, again, I will put it on the Facebook page, Jackie Always Unplugged. Boyd talked about how we socialize boys to sexually objectify girls. And as boys become men, men learn they're to be sexually active, to be experts at it, and initiators. By the way, they learn that not only from the culture, but also in the church. So let me tell you, (laughs) you're to be sexually active, expert at it, and initiators. Those messages right there have created all kinds of havoc in relationships that I have pastored. So I wanted to know, did my male colleagues find what Dr. Boyd said to be true in their own lives or the lives of men they knew? And this is what they had to say about it. Here's one colleague's response. He said, a lot can be said about this one for adult men, but I'll keep it focused on what a boy learns about a man's body. Penis size is probably the most directly related to the body. Our society indoctrinates boys and young men to believe that women want a big penis and that a man's ability to please a woman sexually is directly linked to his penis size. The pornographic images and videos they see feature men with unattainably large and long penises. Movies, pop music, general pop culture all enforce this narrative that size matters. But the reality is that most men are average, the definition of average. Add to the fact that boys who are not fully grown have especially small penises and you have a recipe for deep insecurity. How is this feeling about the abundant life that Jesus talks about? Okay, wait a minute, let me keep going. Every time I've gone to a gym with a communal shower, the majority of men will do almost anything to keep their penis from being seen. They'll shower with shorts on, carefully pull up their underwear out from underneath the towel, so or just not shower. Who? That was just a few things said by one man. And I just have to say, there's a whole lot here. We probably should have a podcast about penises. I can't even tell you how many times I've had conversations with Steve about how men talk about the penis as if it's some separate entity or it's another human being. I keep saying to Steve, you understand it's just part of your body, like your arm, your toe, your hair. It's not some separate entity, guys. It's just part of the body. You get the point, though. Um, The whole talk here is about power and proudness. And I just keep thinking, Jesus must be grieving over the bondage of this message, over the rupture of relationships that are wrapped in this narrative. Another guy said, Girls and sex became serious interest once a neighbor boy introduced me to his father's Playboy magazine collection. By the way, many of the guys mentioned porn playing a role in their understanding of sexuality, of their bodies, of the female body, and that's a whole other issue, isn't it? He said, by later childhood, whatever socializing I was receiving was coming through other boys at school. By the way, the experts say this is so, and a lot of the guys attested to this also. He said, for the most part, they were sharing fantasies, not passing on a coherent view of masculinity or femininity. And then he said this kind of funny idiom. He says, we all seem to be searching for quarters in the grass at night. 
And that made me kind of laugh, especially because I knew who said it. And I'll end um, with this friend. I'll call him B. Um, I'll end with his answer to this question because I think he leaves us on a note of hope. He said, any objectification of girls was taught primarily by TV and movies and maybe some older friends that were ahead of me in school, but I don't think they really glamorized it as much as TV and movies. I think teaching probably does impact men's view of their body. I think any early teaching of boys that real men are experts in bed probably forms their thinking that this must center around his physical stature and size, as if that alone is the way to ensure pleasing one's partner. However, I think I learned fairly early in my teen years that pleasing one's partner is about intimacy and paying attention and learning about what brings pleasure. Whew, good to know we've got some good teaching going on there, guys. Way to go, B. Okay, the last question I'm going to put forth um, is the question that I asked Dr. Todd Phillips, and that was, what does the church basically teach you about the male body? And Todd said, uh, I think nothing. And so I wanted to know, is that other guy's experience is also like, what'd you learn from the church? And one guy answered like this. He said, I believe the church teaches men a great deal about their body. It might not be explicit, but you and he both enumerated great great deal of the expectations that the church communicates by the look of the pastor and every other person who takes the stage. And then he puts in parentheses, yes, it's a stage. If I hear it called a platform one more time, my head will explode. They teach it at men's retreats that focuses on sports and and any other stereotypic male attribute. He said, I think I attended two or three retreats at this particular church he worked at. But even there, I had to eventually give up those. It was just a hard pass. There was just nothing, nothing for me at those events. So even at men's retreats, we're reinforcing this ideal um, male uh, characteristic body form that we actually model from the stage, not platform. Another guy said, as a pastor in the 90s, since I was not raised as a kid in the church, maximized manhood was all the rage. Not body type as much as a warrior heart, protector, provider, hunter, gatherer. He had to excel morally, spiritually, emotionally, grow through weakness. Don't be a pansy. Arm yourself in battle from the world that is out to destroy you and your family. He went on to say that this led to an unbalanced sexual purity movement, which made most evangelical boys I know afraid to touch their penis or the lightning of God might strike. The overemphasis and utter banning of sexual thought and act led to the overobsession of these things. The taboo grew vast, thus the sexual hang-ups became irresistible. Men were painted as sexual animals and women as prey, so the only thing to do was avoid being alone with a woman, be accountable, remain pure, otherwise the floor would drop out from underneath you. Some of these guys are funny. I wish you could hang out with them and really hear. They're, they're brilliant, uh, very capable, godly men. Oh, I'm so glad I have these guys as my friends. Okay, wait, as if that's not enough. I want to leave you with this guy's answer. This will be the last answer to the questions I asked these guys. Actually, that's not true. There's one more at the very end. But here it is. What did the church teach you? He says, I don't remember being taught much by the church in my early years about being a man, but as an adult... I think I'm being taught everything. 
That is to be a loving husband, a father of the year, Elon Musk and Rockefeller and Billy Graham all wrapped in one. To elaborate a bit, he said, loving husband, buys flowers for no reason, helps around the house, brings breakfast in bed and plans, always plans, special date nights and big celebrations for special days like birthdays and anniversaries. Father of the year, coaches soccer, plans big family vacations, does regular father-daughter dates, always takes advantage of teachable moments with Bible lessons. Is the hero in the business world, someone his wife and family is proud of because he is rich, cool, smart, and the envy of the neighborhood. And Billy Graham. This is probably pretty self-explanatory, but he is godly, prayerful, theologically equipped, sharing Jesus with others, helping the poor, and someone everyone points to as the good man. Whew! Anyone else listening to this feeling a little exhausted for our brothers? I know I am. I think I would like to use my friend and colleague, S. I'll call him S. I'll call him Steve. It's really not his real name. Steve words um, to summarize. I spoke with Steve for about an hour. He was very gracious on a Saturday to give me an hour of his time. And he did acknowledge, you know, that there is a like a rise in concern from men about having this ideal male body that we see on social media. He said, um, but the male body image, and I just thought this was a fascinating statement, one that I think rings true with not only what the experts are saying, but also the anecdotal things that the men are telling me. He said, the male body image isn't so much about a particular look as it is about a mentality. In other words, your body can look a variety of ways so long as you're strong, provider, sexually proud, successful in the world's terms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Exhausting, right? Yeah, it is. And when I listened to my brother's responses to my questions, I actually hurt for them. And I want to say to you, my brothers, I apologize. I apologize for any and every way that I have been complicit in your dehumanization because that's what this is. I am so sorry. I want to ask you to stay with me a little bit longer. I'm going to take just a little bit of a break, but I, I want to share with you when I come back a story and some theological thoughts for you to ponder and a final word from one of my brothers. Well, welcome back. I was thinking, uh, I think I'm going to post the questions that I asked my male friends and colleagues um, on my Facebook group page, Jackie Always Unplugged, because I, I, I want to give you the opportunity to go there and use them, like copy them, steal them, add to them, uh, use them to start conversations with men and women about this kind of stuff. Um, and if you think there's someone who would really benefit from this particular podcast, I, I would ask you to pass it along, like take the initiative and then also like be sure to subscribe to Jackie Always Unplugged. 
Well, as I said, I, I want to share a story with you. And it's something that happened over this Memorial Day weekend. Um, one of my son, Hunter's friends, cut his hand while shucking oysters. We had a bunch of oysters and several people were outside shucking them. And Kyle didn't say anything, but he quiet, he cut his finger and he quietly excused himself. And a while later, after Hunter and I um, had served dinner, Kyle reappeared at the table and his face was like white as a ghost. And he shared how the sight of blood makes him lightheaded. And so he had gone to lay down for a bit. And even though he was feeling better, it was apparent by how this tall lumberjack male frame kind of guy was leaning against the chair. He was like still battling the wooziness. And I, I was in the back part of the table, so I couldn't get up very easily. So I suggested to someone to make him a plate of food and get him a drink. And immediately, there was this grumbling from the guys about how Kyle was fine. He could get his own food. God forbid a man appear weak or needy. Proving one's masculinity is a lifelong project, people. It's endless and unrelenting. So I got up, and I got him a giant plate of shrimp scampi and a glass of water. And the following day over coffee, I, I brought it up to Steve. And I shared that if Kyle had been a woman like me or, say, my daughter Madison, both he and my son Hunter would have jumped up and quickly got us food and anything to drink and totally have helped us. I said, if, I, if that was a woman, you would have helped. And Steve paused. He wanted to argue with me at first, but then he quietly just went, yeah, you're right. See, what I had witnessed the night before was what I call men policing men about how real men should live and move in their body. Let me ask you, how often do we ask our men to ignore, hide, or deny physical pain? To ignore what their bodies are telling them because they might appear weak or vulnerable? I was thinking about vulnerability. It's the willingness to be deeply affected by another. Um, Brene Brown has done a lot of work on vulnerability, and she defines vulnerability as like um, uncertainty, risk, emotional exposure, open to being wounded. Now, here's something you may never have thought about, but vulnerability is actually a characteristic of God. And I'd never really thought about it until I heard Andy Crouch speak on this. And he's the editor of Christianity Today, and he authored a book that I absolutely love called Redeeming the Gift of Power. No, redeeming God, redeeming the gift of power. Can't remember. How's that? <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'll put it on the Facebook page. And he argues that God himself demonstrated vulnerability at creation. He spoke and creation flourished. And he also put himself in a place to be wounded by his very own creation. Yeah, ponder that for a moment. And then there's Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate, right? First John 1 and 2 says that. His life taught us how to be appropriately human, and he embraced the fullness of vulnerability when he hung naked on a cross. Courageous vulnerability is how Jesus depicts God's love for us, his image bearers. See, I would argue that not only is vulnerability a characteristic of God, but it's one of his communicable attributes, which I'm going to talk about next week, that um, he passes down to his kids. At the very heart of our creation story is vulnerability within the first human relationship. 
Genesis 2.25 says the two of them were naked, man and woman, but they weren't embarrassed. See, vulnerability is essential for intimate relationships, relationships where we're deeply known by another. And like I said, in the next few episodes, we are finally going to get to what does the Bible have to say about our bodies, body theology, right? We've been talking a lot about body image, and I'm going to ask the question, well, what exactly does our body image? And we're going to move into looking at the scriptures. And one of the things I'm going to argue is um, one of the reasons we have a body is so that we can be known. Human beings are wired to be social, to be intimately known by others. And being known by others requires vulnerability. And that's something that unfortunately is forbidden for men. Masculinity experts tell us, right, violent socialization trains our boys to take an unemotional pose to resist showing weakness. Even though Jesus wept, our boys are taught what? Don't cry. Basically, we're saying, cow, man, up and get your own damn food. What are we asking? What are we really asking of our men? Well, I think what we're asking is that men live disembodied lives. And by the way, that's not what God is asking of them. And I wonder if I need to do better at giving my men the freedom to be human, fully human. And I wonder if I need to work harder at recognizing and calling out the policing done to men, sometimes by men and sometimes by women. What if God has a better story for our men? Then your body must always be powerful and proud sexually prowl. What if, what if there's more? Remember, mind, body, soul. As magnificent as men's bodies may be, their bodies also have limitations. They, like the rest of us, will at one time or another feel woozy. Weakness, vulnerability, they're not bad. In fact, I think they're God's provision. Provision for us to move away from independence into inter- dependence, moving away from independence into interdependence. And that's precisely the relationship that the Godhead models. And I think it's the relationship that that God intended for us to have with others, interdependence. And if we're honest, isn't that what we're all secretly longing for? To be intimately connected with others where they know all of who we are and they like us anyway. They say, I choose you where it's safe to be vulnerable and naked before one another, that's what God intended. Just read Genesis chapter 2. Where when we feel woozy, someone brings us a big fat plate of shrimp scampi instead of saying, get your own damn food. Isn't that what we're really all secretly longing for? I think so. I sent this story to my friends, to the guys, in an email, and I said, what do you think? Do we allow men to be vulnerable? Are we asking men to be disembodied? And I think we are, and many of them agreed, yes, we are. But then there was something this one guy said, and it left me um, thinking about another perspective. And it's the perspective I want to share with you and leave you with. He said this. He said, the story resonates with me. Having said that, I wouldn't be so quick to call the guy's behavior policing. 
I wasn't there, so I can't speak to tone, but I've often experienced a lack of care between men as an expression of their desire to preserve his dignity. He said, several years ago, while I was working for a welding company, I happened to be framing the interior walls of a company apartment. And despite having plenty of experience in doing such work, I managed to shoot a framing nail through one of my fingers. The man I was working with was able to pull out the nail and encouraged me not to go to the clinic. Similar story to yours, I bled a lot and felt very woozy. What happened? I went to my room and I laid down and he left me there. The next day, I reported to the shop for my day's work and was greeted by the whole crew who already knew all about my injury and started making fun of me and telling one-up stories. That'll be your dead finger now or you'll be able to predict the weather. He said, it sounds cruel, but I could see on their faces that they were trying to protect me from shame. So yes, vulnerability is discouraged for men and thus requires a certain amount of disembodied living. But men still care for each other, and at times, irony of ironies, that looks like showing their care by not exposing the vulnerability. Thank you, brothers. Thank you for all who took the time to respond to my questions. You have enriched us. And thank you, Jesus, for showing us another way, the way to freedom, the way to abundant life. May we follow in your footsteps. and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.